section sixty eight of italy france spain and portugal this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org the world's story volume five italy france spain and portugal edited by eva march tappan section sixty eight the flight of louis the sixteenth seventeen hundred and ninety one by charles duke young the capture of the bastille was followed by revolts against the nobles which were in reality only ferocious orgies of fire and murder those nobles who could escape fled for their lives beyond the boundaries of france there were rumours that the king too intended to flee and a savage multitude swept out to versailles broke into the palace and demanded that louis should return to paris under the charge of lafayette who commanded the national guard the king and his family were taken back to the capital they occupied the palace of the tuileries but in reality they were prisoners and a blow struck in their defence by either nobles or foreign nations would have resulted in their murder there was only one hope if they could make their escape to the frontier then with foreign aid louis and the nobles might return and overpower the revolutionists such an escape was carefully planned the editor in such undertakings the simplest arrangements are the safest and those devised by the queen and her advisers the chief of whom were de Fersen and de bouillet were as simple as possible the royal fugitives were to pass for a travelling party of foreigners a transport signed by m montmorin who still held the seals of the foreign department was provided for madame de tourzel who assuming the name of madame de corf a russian baroness professed to be returning to her own country with her family and her ordinary equipage the dauphin and his sister were described as her children the queen as their governess while the king himself under the name of durand was to pass as their servant three of the old disbanded bodyguard messieurs de valery de maldon and de moustier were to attend the party in the disguise of couriers and under the pretence of providing for the safe conveyance of a large sum of money which was required for the payment of the troops de bouillet undertook to post a detachment of soldiers at each town between chalons and montmédy through which the travellers were to pass some of the other arrangements were more difficult as more likely to lead to a betrayal of the design it was of course impossible to use any royal carriage and no ordinary vehicle was large enough to hold such a party but in the preceding year de Fersen had had a carriage of unusual dimensions built for some friends 
in the south of europe so that he had no difficulty now in procuring another of similar pattern from the same maker and mr crowford agreed to receive it into his stables and at the proper hour to convey it outside the barrier yet in spite of the care displayed in these arrangements and of the absolute fidelity observed by all to whom the secret was entrusted some of the inferior attendants about the court suspected what was in agitation the queen herself with some degree of imprudence sent away a large package to brussels one of her waiting women discovered that she and madame campon had spent an evening in packing up jewels and sent warning to gouvion an aide-de-camp of lafayette and to bailly the mayor that the queen was at last preparing to flee luckily bailly had received so many similar notices that he paid but little attention to this or perhaps he was already beginning to feel the repentance which he afterwards exhibited at his former insolence to his sovereign and was not unwilling to contribute to their safety by his inaction while gouvion was not anxious to reveal the course from which he had obtained his intelligence still though nothing precise was known the attention of more than one person was awakened to the movements of the royal family and especially that of lafayette who alarmed lest his prisoner should escape him redoubled his vigilance driving down to the palace every night and often visiting them in their apartments to make himself certain of their presence six hundred of the national guard were on duty at the tuileries and sentinels were placed at the end of every passage and at the foot of every staircase but fortunately a small room with a secret door which led into the queen's chamber as it had been for some time unoccupied had escaped the observation of the officers on guard and that passage therefore offered a prospect of their being able to reach the courtyard without being perceived on the morning of the day appointed for the great enterprise all in the secret were vividly excited except the queen she alone preserved her coolness no one could have guessed from her demeanour that she was on the point of embarking in an undertaking on which in her belief her own life and the lives of all those dearest to her depended the children who knew nothing of what was going on went to their usual occupations the dauphin to his garden on the terrace madame royale to her lessons and marie antoinette herself after giving some orders which were to be executed in the course of the next day or two went out riding with her sister-in-law in the bois de boulogne her conversation throughout the day was light and cheerful she jested with the officer on guard about the reports which she understood to be in circulation about some intended flight of the king and was relieved to find that he totally disbelieved them she even ventured on the same jest with lafayette himself who replied in his usual surly fashion that such a project was constantly talked of but even his rudeness could not discompose her 
as the hour drew near she began to prepare her children the princess was old enough to be talked to reasonably and she contented herself therefore with warning her to show no surprise at anything that she might see or hear the dauphin was to be disguised as a girl and it was with great glee that he let the attendants dress him saying that he saw that they were going to act a play the royal supper usually took place soon after nine at half-past ten the family separated for the night and by eleven their attendants were all dismissed and marie antoinette had fixed that hour for departing because even if the sentinels should get a glimpse of them they would be apt to confound them with the crowd which usually quitted the palace at that time accordingly at eleven o'clock the count de fersen dressed as a coachman drove an ordinary job carriage into the courtyard and marie antoinette who trusted nothing to others which she could do herself conducted madame de tourzel and the children downstairs and seated them safely in the carriage but even her nerves nearly gave way when lafayette's coach brilliantly lighted drove by passing close to her as he proceeded to the inner court to ascertain from the guard that everything was in its usual condition in an agony of fright she sheltered herself behind some pillars and in a few minutes the marquis drove back and she rejoined the king who was awaiting her summons in his own apartment while one of the disguised bodyguards went for the princess elizabeth even the children were inspired with their mother's courage as the princess got into the carriage she trod on the dauphin who was lying in concealment at the bottom and the brave boy spoke not a word while louis himself gave a remarkable proof how in spite of the want of moral and political resolution which had brought such miseries on himself and his country he could yet preserve in the most critical moments his presence of mind and kind consideration for others he was half-way downstairs when he returned to his room monsieur valery who was escorting him was dismayed when he saw him turn back and ventured to remind him how precious was every instant i know that replied the kind-hearted monarch but they will murder my servant to-morrow for having aided my escape and sitting down at his table he wrote a few lines declaring that the man had acted under his peremptory orders and gave the note to him as a certificate to protect him from accusation when all the rest were seated the queen took her place de Fersen drove them to the port st martin where the great travelling carriage was waiting and having transferred them to it and taken a respectful leave of them he fled at once to brussels which more fortunate than those for whom he had risked his life he reached in safety for a hundred miles the royal fugitives proceeded rapidly and without interruption one of the supposed couriers was on the box another rode by the side of the carriage and the third went on in advance to see that the relays were in readiness before midday they reached jalon the place where they were to be met by the first detachment of de bouillet's troops and when the well-known uniforms met her eye marie antoinette for the first time gave full expression to her feelings thank god we are saved she exclaimed clasping her hands the fervour of her exclamation bearing undesigned testimony to the greatness of the fears which out of consideration for others she had hitherto kept to herself but in truth out of this employment of the troops arose 
all their subsequent disasters de bouillet had been unwilling to send his detachment so far forward pointing out that the notice which their arrival in the different towns was sure to attract would do more harm than their presence as a protection could do good but his argument had been overruled by the king himself who apprehended the greatest danger from the chance of being overtaken and expected it therefore to increase with every hour of the journey de bouillet's fears however were found to be the best justified by the event in more than one town even in the few hours that had elapsed since the arrival of the soldiers there had been quarrels between them and the townspeople in others which was still worse the populace had made friends with them and seduced them from their loyalty so that the officers in command had found it necessary to withdraw them altogether and anxiety at their unexpected absence had caused louis more than once to show himself at the carriage window more than once he was recognized by people who knew him and kept his counsel but drouet the postmaster of st menehould a town about one hundred and seventy miles from paris was of a less loyal disposition he had lately been in the capital where he had become infected with the jacobin doctrines he too saw the king's face and on comparing his somewhat striking features with the stamp on some public documents which he chanced to have in his pocket became convinced of his identity he at once reported to the magistrates what he had seen and with their sanction rode forward to the next town clermont hoping to be able to collect a force sufficient to stop the royal carriage on its arrival there but the king travelled so fast that he had quitted clermont before drouet reached it and he even arrived at varennes before his pursuer had he quitted that place also he would have been in safety for just beyond it de bouillet had placed a strong division which would have been able to defy all resistance but varennes a town on the huise was so small as to have no post-house by some mismanagement the royal party had not been informed at which end of the town they were to find the relay the carriage halted while m valery was making the necessary inquiries and while it was standing still drouet rode up and forbade the postilions to proceed he himself hastened on through the town collected a few of the townspeople and with their aid upset a cart or two on the bridge to block up the way and having thus made the road impassable he roused the municipal authorities for it was nearly midnight and then returning to the royal carriage he compelled the royal family to dismount and follow him to the house of the mayor a petty grocer whose name was strausse the magistrate sounded the tocsin the national guard beat to arms the king and queen were prisoners how they were allowed to remain so is still after all the explanations that have been given incomprehensible two officers with sixty hussars all well disposed and loyal were in a side street of the town waiting for their arrival of which they were not aware six of the troopers actually passed the travellers in the street as they were proceeding to the mayor's house but no one not even the queen appealed to them for succour or they could have released them without an effort for drouet's whole party consisted of no more than eight unarmed men and when an hour afterwards the officers in command learned that the king was in the town in the hands of his enemies instead of at once delivering him they were seized with a panic they would not take on themselves the responsibility of acting without express orders but galloped back to de bouillet to report the state of affairs 
in less than an hour three more detachments amounting in all to above one hundred men also reached the town and their commanders did make their way to the king and asked his orders he could only reply that he was a prisoner and had no orders to give and not one of the officers had the sense to perceive that the fact of his announcing himself a prisoner was in itself an order to deliver him one word of command from louis to clear the way for him at the sword's point would still have been sufficient but he had still the same invincible repugnance as ever to allow blood to be shed in his quarrel he preferred peaceful means which could not but fail with a dignity arising from his entire personal fearlessness he announced his name and rank his reasons for quitting paris and proceeding to montmedy declaring that he had no thought of quitting the kingdom and demanded to be allowed to proceed on his journey while the queen her fears for her children overpowering all other feelings addressed herself with the most earnest entreaties to the mayor's wife declaring that their very lives would be in danger if they should be taken back to paris and imploring her to use her influence with her husband to allow them to proceed neither strasse nor his wife was ill-disposed towards the king but they had not the courage to comply with their request and after a little time they would have found it beyond their power to let them proceed however much they might have wished it for the tocsin had brought up numbers of the national guard who were all disloyal while some of the soldiers began to show a disinclination to act against them and so matters stood for some hours a crowd of townspeople peasants national guards and dragoons thronging the room the king at times speaking quietly to his captors the queen weeping for the fatigue of the journey and the fearful disappointment of being thus baffled at the last moment after she had thought that all danger was past had broken down even her nerves at first as usual she had tried to persuade louis to act with resolution but when as usual she failed she gave way to despair and sat silent with touching helpless sorrow gazing on her children who had fallen asleep at seven o'clock on the morning of the twenty-second a single horseman rode into the town he was an aide-de-camp of lafayette on the morning of the twenty-first the excitement had been great in paris when it became known that the king had fled the mob rose in furious tumult they forced their way into the tuileries plundering the palace and destroying the furniture a fruit-woman took possession of the queen's bed as a stall to range her cherries on saying that to-day it was the turn of the nation and a picture of the king was torn down from the walls and after being stuck up in derision outside the gates for some time was offered for sale to the highest bidder in the assembly the most violent language was used an officer whose name has been preserved through the eminence which after his death was attained by his widow and his children general beauharnais was the president and as such he announced that m bailly had reported to him that the enemies of the nation had carried off the king the whole assembly was roused to fury at the idea of his having escaped from their power a decree was at once drawn up in form commanding that louis should be seized wherever he could be found and brought back to paris no one could pretend that the assembly had the slightest right to issue such an order but lafayette with the alacrity which he always displayed when any insult was to be offered to the king or queen at once sent it off by his own aide-de-camp m romerf with instructions to see that it was carried out the order was now delivered to strasse the king with scarcely an attempt at resistance declared his willingness to obey it and before eight o'clock he and his family with their faithful bodyguard now in undisguised captivity 
for travelling back to paris end of section sixty eight this recording is in the public domain